you really cannot just sit back and think generously. It requires action. Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. And yet, for many of us, our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us. We tend toward negativity, self-pity, jealousy, or fear. We see what we don't have instead of what we do. We think things that hold us back and dampen our spirit. But it's not just about thinking. Our actions matter. It takes conscious, consistent, and creative effort to make a life worth living. This podcast is about how other people keep themselves moving in the right direction, how they feed their good wolf. claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond but at diamonds direct we beg to differ have you ever met a mother strong radiant timeless this mother's day give her the gift that meets her match with diamond jewelry starting at 200 plus diamonds directs exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at diamonds direct diamonds direct your love our passion I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Our guest on this episode is Barbara Bonner. Barbara started her professional life as an art historian and since has devoted her career to nonprofit management, fundraising, and philanthropy. Barbara served as vice president of the Bennington College and of the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. Since 2009, she has had her own consulting company that helps nonprofit organizations transform their board leadership and philanthropic support. Barbara is the author of two books, Inspiring Courage and Inspiring Generosity. Hey everybody, this is Chris, and before we get started on this week's episode, I wanted to tell you that a huge avenue for financial support has been through reoccurring monthly donations given by you, our dear listeners. And those of you who have pledged your support, even at the $2 month level, have made such a huge difference for us, and we're just so grateful. What we've decided to do is offer you the choice to listen to weekly episodes for the show ad-free, which a lot of people would love. So how do you do this? If you make a monthly donation of as little as $5 a month, you'll have access to ad-free and sponsor-free episodes. There's no third-party ads or Patreon requests. You don't have to worry. You'd still hear about all the One You Feed news and our growth, so you won't miss out on anything there. So if this sounds appealing to you, head over to oneyoufeed.net slash support and make a pledge of at least $5 per month, and that is all yours. No ads, no spots. 
We do need to grow the financial support of the show in order to continue to grow the One You Feed podcast. So if you get at least $5 worth of value each month from us, we humbly ask for you to make a donation. Thanks. And here's the interview with Barbara Bonner. Hi, Barbara. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I love your show. Thank you. You've written two books, one called Inspiring Courage and the other called Inspiring Generosity, which are books that I would say they're a collection of stories, quotes, and poems, one of them about courage and the other about generosity. So we're going to talk a little bit about both of those characteristics. But let's start like we normally do with the parable, where there's a grandmother who's talking with her granddaughter, and she says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love, and the other is a bad wolf which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. The granddaughter stops and she thinks about it for a second and she looks up at her grandmother and she says, well, grandmother, which one wins? And the grandmother says, the one you feed. So I'd like to start off by asking you what that parable means to you in your life and in the work that you do. It's just a wonderful parable that I've loved over the years. Uh, I've heard it ascribed to so many sources from Cherokee to Buddhist. uh, And it's always... Uh, really resonated deeply with me. I think we have a choice in every moment, in every day, which way are we going to go? Uh, for me, I would say, certainly as, as related to our talk later about these two books, inspiration has been the feature of my life that really speaks to feeding the good wolf. What is it that inspires us in our lives whether it's in uh, what we choose to read, what friends we choose to spend time with, or music to listen to. I find even when I walk my dog in the morning and evening, can we just take the time to really be, be inspired by what's around us? And so as I approached writing two books, I thought, what is the most inspiring way to do this? What can I really give to readers that will that will make their lives turn in a way that can be with them all the time. I think that's so great. That is a big part of why the show exists, I think, was simply to be a, I think reminder is a uh, less powerful word than inspiration, but to remember or to be inspired by the the qualities that we want to have. And so I think remembering is the first piece, like, I want to be courageous. I want to be generous. And then the second piece that you've talked about is the more that you can have that, at least for me, said in beautiful ways, the more powerful it is. And there's lots and lots of beautiful ways to say both those things in these books. Yes. And I think it also, like these two qualities, it's almost a muscle that we can exercise. I read a wonderful quote from Cheryl Strayed at the turn of the year uh, when I was sort of thinking about resolutions. And she was quoting her mother who said, put yourself in the way of beauty. It's just wonderful. It's something we actually can do. And I would just change it to put yourself in the way of inspiration. What can we do that brings inspiration into our lives every day? Not in such a highfalutin way, but in often uh, little everyday choices. They add up and suddenly life is different. Yep, I agree with that a lot. I've been thinking lately a lot about the role that art and beauty plays in you know, what we typically think of as self-help or personal development or whatever. And that's not an area that's talked about a whole lot in those in those spaces. And, and it's such a big part for me 
of how I keep myself moving in the right direction is, you know, particularly music is the biggest one for me, but, mm-hmm. but fiction, literature, um, you know, it's all, it's just such a powerful way to get outside of myself and to transcend sort of my normal mundane thoughts of myself. Yes, I listened to your interview with the wonderful Will Schwame, whom I admire and like so much. His talking about just that in reading, uh, that the the impact of a book, we're different at the end of a book than we are at the beginning. What is that? It's not just the words on the page. It is the power of inspiration for great books. Yeah. Uh, and and for me, what music I listen to when I'm working at home, which is most of the time, I suddenly I wasn't paying attention to that until a couple of years ago. Yeah. Now I listen to classical music. Well, the work changes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I think there is a poem by Hafiz that you like to read that might be a place for us to start getting into the books. I start each book, actually, with um, a poem by Hafiz, the Persian poet of many centuries ago. So I'll start with the generosity one. Even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights the whole sky. Mm. thought it was a wonderful sort of exclamation point with which to start the book. Yeah. So let's talk about generosity. Mm. I think we all kind of know what it is, but if you were going to maybe take us beyond our normal thought of generosity deeper into the idea, you know, what would you consider as ways to think about generosity? And then secondly, what would you think are ways that we can cultivate it? I don't think we actually all look at it the same way. And one of my real desires in writing the book was to reframe how we do consider generosity. I think so often when we use the term, people think of it as giving or exchanging material goods or money. And I think it's not that. I think that's uh, often quite a very good thing to do, but there can be many motivations for that. It can be so that we look good to other people. It can be because our heart is genuinely open and we want to make a difference in the world. And I, I think that as people look at generosity in a in a broader way, they feel perhaps that it's more accessible to them. I think also when we talk about generosity, we tend to, at least in the media, focus on uh, the philanthropic billionaires and not the people leading, I hate the word, but everyday lives, putting one foot in front of the other. And yet generosity is still their North Star, and that's how they live their lives. So I chose to write the 14 stories in the book about people who were not famous and doing just that. And that interested me greatly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things about generosity for me that I have recognized is that it's kind of a chicken and egg, right? That, that generosity engenders feelings of having enough and being grateful and then being grateful and thinking I have enough engender, you know, generosity. That thing goes both directions for me. And so, you know, sometimes I'll give money to homeless people on the street and, and occasionally someone will be like, you know, that's just pointless, right? That, and, and yes, from a spending of, of charitable dollars, there are surely better ways to do it. But there's something about in the moment responding to what's in front of me that, for me, helps me remember how fortunate I am. So there's some degree of uh, selfish motivation in there, but, but so much of it is driven by that open heart. Well, you touch a very important point, and that is that I don't think we can actually be generous unless we feel gratitude. 
to feel gratitude for our own lives, to feel a sense of abundance ourselves, really allows generosity to kind of flow from that. Um, without it, with a sense of sort of stinginess or that we just don't have enough, we have to fight for everything. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's impossible to open your heart and really be generous. And I love the example you gave. People often say that, oh, why are you giving to someone at the subway or on the... Well, there's a great quote from Barbara Ehrenreich in the book that says, it really doesn't matter if the person you give it to is going to buy baby formula or a bottle of Ripple. Uh, You've opened your heart and you've done what moved you forward. And from then on, it's up to the fates. (laughs) One of the things that we talk about on the show a lot and means a lot to me is the idea that sometimes... We have to act our way into right thinking. And that's why, for me, generosity can be almost an action sometimes that I can make myself do that then brings along the gratitude. So sometimes I'm grateful and I can be generous, but I've found that I can use it as a tool to bring me along. So it's an action that I take. I may not be feeling particularly generous or grateful at the moment, but if I somehow get myself into a space where I act that way, then then the feelings follow. When I was recovering out alcoholic addict in and AA, somebody used to say all the time, gratitude is an action word, mm-hmm. you know, from their perspective. It wasn't just about a feeling you have that if you're grateful, you are doing all these other things for other people. And I just think it goes both directions. That's very true. And I always say that I think both generosity and courage are activities. Mm-hmm. You really cannot just sit back and think generously. It requires action, as does courage. And it doesn't have to be grand action. We can try at it, you know, and do the best we can. I tell people who, who complain that they, don't, they think it's really beyond them, say, well, just move into a space of greater generosity. Try it on for size. Uh, you'll be surprised what happens. Yeah. May I read a quote from the generosity book that speaks to this? Yeah. It's one of my favorites, and it's by a great Buddhist teacher, Gallic Rinpoche, whom I had the pleasure of meeting and speaking with. And here it goes. When you're practicing generosity, You should feel a little pinch when you give something away. That pinch is your stinginess protesting. If you give away your old, worn-out coat that you wouldn't be caught dead wearing, that's not generosity. There's no pinch. You're doing nothing to overcome your stinginess. You're just cleaning out your closet and calling it something else. Giving away your coat might keep someone warm, but it does not address the problem to free ourselves from self-cherishing and self-grasping. Yeah. That's a whop. Boy, that's a... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it certainly sets the bar at, at a different level to be generous. It just makes me think of... I track lots of things in my life just because it's, it's a way that I um, have learned to sort of make sure I'm taking care of myself. And one of the things I, you know, keep track of each day is whether I did something that I think is an act of kindness. And I'm often in a debate with myself about like, was that really kindness or was that just basic decency? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, did I really extend there or did I just do like what I should do. And it's interesting to think of it in that way, in the way he phrases it about feeling that little bit of pinch. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, in your dilemma of is it kindness, it doesn't really matter. It's where it comes from. Does it have a sense of pouring forth from inside you, acting from an open heart? Yeah. You can just tell. You can just tell. (laughs) Yep. That makes me think of, we were talking about generosity and you said it's not just giving of money or even of time, the Buddhist idea of loving kindness, of a loving kindness meditation, where you 
you know, wish everyone well. Like I could just do it on a plane or a subway mm-hmm. or sit and just kind of go around and, you know, may you be happy, may you be healthy. And again, another thing that I can do action wise that engenders a great feeling of, of generosity in me as I do it. It's a very powerful meditation, loving kindness meditation, I think. And you're quite right. It happens uh, once once we get sort of used to it and have practiced it a bit. It comes up in all kinds of moments in our life. I, I was just on four planes and everything was delayed and snowstorms. And a, a departure lounge is a perfect place to work on loving kindness. Do you think I could get you to read a poem from the Inspiring Courage book? Oh, I could be talked into that, Eric. (laughs) Can I pick? Oh, you may, sure. So I'd like to have you read page 38, Sweet Darkness by David White. A, because it's a gorgeous poem, and B, because I got to see him read it recently at an event, and it just kind of blew me away. So I love David White. I was in a workshop with him last year and I found he is the very personification of inspiration. <laughs> yeah. So I'd love to read this poem, Sweet Darkness by David White. When your eyes are tired, the world is tired also. When your vision has gone, no part of the world can find you. Time to go into the dark where the night has eyes to recognize its own. There you can be sure you are not beyond love. The dark will be your womb tonight. The night will give you a horizon further than you can see. You must learn one thing. The world was made to be free in. Give up all the other worlds except the one to which you belong. Sometimes it takes darkness and the sweet confinement of your aloneness to learn anything or anyone that does not bring you alive is too small for you. So he's really talking also about the power of inspiration, what brings you alive. Yep, that's such a beautiful poem. Isn't it wonderful? I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues 
pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. We've explored generosity. Let's explore courage a little bit more. Talk to me about your definition of courage or your perspective. Well, I'll start with, um, in the book I wrote about 14 people who lead or led exceptionally courageous lives. I'm interested beyond just the quality of courage into what it means to lead a courageous life. And in all of them, first of all, none of them agree that they are courageous. That seems to come as a definition with being courageous. Everyone says, I didn't do anything special. I only did what was put in my path. Anybody would have done it. I think that happens because a courageous act calls out in us a sense of our truly authentic self. It doesn't feel like we're doing anything that's a huge reach. We're just stepping forward into who we really are. We sense a a need something that has to be done, and we step into it without thinking. It's really spontaneous. Nobody overthinks courage. And the stories time and again have that resonance. And then, as I say, it's not really about the moment when someone goes into a burning building to save a child. It's what happens to that person afterwards. They're living in a new place, in a new orientation. The world is different. Courage becomes then something that is part of them and something uh, that sort of a lens through which they see their whole lives. Uh, it changes life and it changes the people around us. Yep. You also mentioned that a lot of what enables these people to be courage is the, is the life they lived before Mm -hmm. the courageous act or the way they viewed the world or, you know, that there was, there was more than just the act of courage to who these people were. Yes. I think as I get them to look back on their lives, which is very hard because as I say, they don't fess up to being courageous. There is a sense of, of authenticity in their lives, of being able to speak truth to power, of uh, taking on an adversary, of standing up for the bully in the playground when they were a child. It's practiced throughout their lives in seemingly small ways. And then something, an event happens in which perhaps the grand gesture is called forth. But they can look back and say, oh, that happened. Yeah, that happened. That was certainly true of Tim DeChristopher, who is a great environmental activist who went to prison for two years for his environmental activism. He says he's not courageous at all, but in fact, he was always just speaking his truth. And then he got to really speak it very loudly and pay for it. Mm-hmm. And pay for it. Yeah. Another uh, inspiring, there's lots of inspiring stories, is there's no way I'll get this said right, but Edith and Loette uh, Bellman. Yes, Lute. Uh huh. Lute. Edith and Lute. <laughs> Velmans, is that correct? That is correct. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Uh, well, I'm, I'm happy to because they're both very close friends, and it was such a, a joy to be able to shine a spotlight on them, although they're both very modest and they fought me a bit. Uh, Edith uh, is now 92. 
uh, and she's Dutch. She was in Holland uh, as World War II broke out, and uh, her family was taken away to concentration camps. She was hidden by a Protestant family, uh, and as it happened, uh, the family housed a Nazi soldier in the adjoining room. So she lived in that hiding place for uh, a year and a half. She quite coincidentally went into hiding the day that Anne Frank went into hiding. So she would say that that experience did not really require courage, but she's lived her life since then with great courage, with great determination, wanting to make the most of life, wanting to be optimistic and hopeful, and uh, and became a psychologist and helped others. Uh, her husband, Lute, the day that the Nazis moved into Amsterdam, he uh, got hold of a small uh, lifeboat that could take four people, and he uh, pulled together 44 close friends and neighbors, Jews, who were going to be clearly carried away. And they all got in the boat and headed out into the North Sea, not knowing that they would live. They were picked up by a British boat the day after. Tremendous courage. And then two years later, Loot was part of the death march of the River Kwai in Thailand for two years as a prisoner of the Japanese. So you would think that someone like that would become disillusioned or bitter or hard. Instead, he was one of the most humorous, gracious, optimistic people I've ever met, uh, became uh, quite ironically uh, the chairman of Hill & Knowlton, the great PR firm, really invented the field of public relations. It's interesting, it's always been interesting to me what terrible experiences like the ones that they both went through can do to you. And in both of them, it um, just increased their courage to live wonderful, meaningful lives. Yeah, I'm very much fascinated by what causes some people to come out of very difficult experiences better, stronger, um, using them as grist for the mill, and what causes other people to um, not be able to do that. We hear about post-traumatic stress, but they also, something we don't talk much about is post-traumatic growth, which happens in people. I mean, it's another phenomenon that's just not discussed, but, but trauma can be, or a very difficult situation can be a, a, a catalyst to tremendous growth. It can. And we hear so often that, or I have in researching both books, that, uh, you know, a, a good and happy and secure childhood is the basis for being able to live into both qualities. I don't think it's true at all. I think it uh, it can be quite the opposite. Um, I don't know what it is, but it's not that. Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. 
We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a quote in the Courage book that I really like because I think it, it spins this a little bit on its head and it says, Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. Winston Churchill. Well, we don't, we don't do enough listening, that's for sure, particularly in this world of ours right now. I think in both generosity and courage, listening is a very key quality. Uh, how can we know what's called for? Possibly, unless we listen. And yet, uh, so much of our contemporary culture is about talking, being forceful, getting the last word in. I find, particularly in my own business life, which is working with institutions largely raising money, that people think that that's an area in which you just have to be smarter than the last guy, say the last word, be aggressive. My experience has been the best listener wins the day. Yeah, I think that is the case in, in a lot of different fields, certainly in the sales work I've done in, in previous parts of my life. That's definitely been sort of the secret weapon. And in leadership. I mean, when we look yep. at, at all forms of leadership, I'm thinking now of government, uh, we did have quite a wonderful president in our last president who was capable of listening and being compassionate and really hearing. I hope that happens again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think, you know, we're talking about where did these qualities come from? Page five, the Buddhist teacher Pema Chodron says, deep down in the human spirit, there is a reservoir of courage. It's always available, always waiting to be discovered. I think that's true. It also speaks to people who can't explain why they're courageous, that there is something simply untapped that lives there that at a certain moment is called forth. Um, that's always been fascinating to me. And when I read hers, her quote, I think that's true. There's a wonderful quote while I'm on quotes, then we'll go where you want. We, yeah. we started the first book with a Hafiz quote. Here's, here's one that starts off this book. Fear is the cheapest room in the house. I'd like to see you living in better conditions. <laughs> so true. <laughs> like yeah. if we could choose, why would we choose? <laughs> Yeah. And there's a, as you're talking, it, it strikes me, the Pema Chodron quote made me think of this, that there's a correlation between generosity 
and courage, I think. I think there is a, you could say it's an openness of spirit, but it has, it also has something to do with feeling like you have enough and you are enough or you are strong enough. I think that there's a, there's a strong correlation between the two. To, to really act courageously, you are, your, your, your orientation is turned outward. You're inter- you feel connected to uh, the larger world. You're basically altruistic in wanting to. You're not. You're not doing a courageous act because it feels good to you. You're doing it because it is for someone else. It has a greater impact. That is an act of generosity. Um, and likewise, uh, to be truly generous at times, you have to have a good deal of courage. Uh, people will try and talk you out of it. Uh, people will put you down for it. Uh, it's something that uh, comes from your own deepest convictions. And sometimes you have to stand up to people who are going to try and talk you out of that. Yeah, I found that to be an interesting challenge in my own life that I just look at and I think I think, A, it's a comment on culture in general, but also a comment on me is that I'll occasionally, you know, in a, in a, in a work situation or any kind of situation, I'll, I'll think like, I want to ask that person if they're doing okay, or I want to say something really nice to that person, or I want to, and there's a fear there. There's a hesitation. And, and so sometimes it does, you know, it does take courage just to even for me to do the little silly thing that is very generous, but seems like for whatever reason is not easy to do. I know exactly what you mean, and I think it speaks to um, to both qualities uh, being ones that can be practiced. You can practice in very small ways. I've, I've generally found that reaching out to someone uh, with a generous act or a courageous act is very rarely not, uh, it, it may not be acknowledged, but it's always appreciated. Uh, and why not? what's the alternative you know yep yep if we want to live lives of greater meaning then just step forward into it also i think it doesn't neither one has to be the grand act uh i tell people just move in that direction just move in that direction (laughs) yep well that's a that's a a refrain on this show all the time tiny steps Uh, small steps baby steps you know just do something start as small as you need to yeah yeah but, but start I agree. In the Courage book, there's another quote. I don't have it in front of me, but it's a quote I've always loved, which is like, you know, a ship is safe in Mm -hmm. harbor, but that's not what ships are for. Exactly. Exactly. We take such comfort in our security in life. uh, And then there can be sort of a light bulb moment when we realize that, oh, it's only once around the track and life is really to lead a, a life of meaning. Uh, and to lead a life of meaning means you have to put yourself at risk. You have to step forward. You have to make those gestures, small or large, uh, that uh, resonate with you and with the people around you. So how about we wrap up with you reading another poem of your choosing from either book? It's a page and a half, if we have time for that. We do. The Wendell Berry poem. It's the I one, love it. It's the one that people tend to sort of swoon over when I read it in book, yes. in book talks. So if, if that's good, I will. It speaks to many qualities beyond courage, but to me, I put it up front because it is kind of the, the, the gong that sounds what I want to sound as we start. Manifesto, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front by Wendell Berry. 
Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. And you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they'll call you. When they want you to die for profit, they'll let you know. So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord, love the world, work for nothing, take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance. For what man has not encountered, he's not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into mold. Call that profit. Prophesy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of hummus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to carry on. Put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you consider it all the facts. So long as women do not go cheap for power, please women more than men. Ask yourself, will this satisfy a woman satisfied to bear a child? Will this disturb the sleep of a woman near to giving birth? Go with your love to the fields, lie down in the shade, rest your head in her lap, Swear allegiance to what is nighest your thoughts. As soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark the false trail, the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. Practice resurrection. Yeah, I love that every day do something that doesn't compute. <laughs> I do too. That's <laughs> so good and so hard to do sometimes. Yeah, well, it's nice to get permission for it, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I really enjoyed both books. As I mentioned earlier, they're, they're beautiful books, lots of quotes, poems. They're more than just like a book you sit down and read. They're the kind of thing that you can pull off the shelf, look at, get inspiration from. So thank you so much for the books and coming on the show. My great pleasure. Thank you, Eric. Yep. Take care. Bye. Bye. If what you just heard was helpful to you, please consider making a donation to the One You Feed podcast. Head over to oneufeed.net slash support. The One You Feed podcast would like to sincerely thank our sponsors for supporting the show. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. 
Sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 